The following pre-recorded program is brought to you by Wrestling with the Inner Man. Welcome to Wrestling with the Inner Man, because the first fight we face each and every day is a fight with our flesh. Do we listen to our selfish, sinful nature, or to divine nature guided by the Holy Spirit? Your host, David Savage, is a product of the West Texas desert and energy industry who recently received the biggest promotion of his life, reporting directly to the top boss, God. We hope you're ready to rumble because wrestling with the inner man begins now. Good evening, WWM listeners. What a treat I have for you today. I am bringing the campfire to you. And what a story we have to tell today. An incredible story of redemption. My guest is my lifelong buddy and fraternity brother and one of my closest and dearest friends from college, Dr. Clay Brown. Our relationship began dubiously, I'll say, (laughs) back in 1980 at Texas A&M University. And I think I can honestly say that I have laughed more with Clay Brown than with any other person in my life. You see, we are cut from the same cloth, and that means that we may be able to fool others. But as the saying goes, it takes one to know one. And the hallmark of our friendship has always been brutal honesty. Clay, my brother, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. Thanks for that introduction. Yeah, it's um, come a long way. Uh, our relationship didn't didn't start on spiritual principles. I, I wouldn't say it was uh, it was uh, driven by ins- instincts run riot and and hedonistic, ego driven activities but um we've we've come a long way we have and that's just all young men go through that and you know having uh, my heart broken i joined the fraternity you know because uh my girlfriend dumped me in so i, I was out to wreak havoc on uh, on the opposite sex <laughs> so. well clay every episode of wrestling with the inner man begins with an authentic problem statement of what we have personally wrestled with and then we go into how that battle was waged Today, you are the medical director at the Orchard in an inpatient addiction treatment facility. Uh, why don't you share your story with us about your own battle with addiction? Okay, I'd love to, Dave. That's kind of a, it's kind of what I do is share my experience, strength, and hope and, and skills I've accumulated as a, as a physician to try to help people recover from a hopeless state of mind and body, which is what, what addiction generally drives people to. Um, me personally... You know, my story is one of uh, successful management. You know, I've been drawn to alcohol and drugs since a very young age, probably middle school. Uh, I'm wired that way, um, grew up that way, and um, successfully managed that uh, in conjunction with living kind of a double life, you know, doing my thing and drinking and drugging and everything that goes along with it, but keeping that in a, uh, in a box. And on the other side, you know, pursuing a career in medicine and being successful academically. And I kind of prided myself in that, that I could, you know, that I could do both sides of the coin. And, um, and that kind of served me well through college and, um, and medical school, there were periods, you know, when my addiction didn't have um, that much hold on me, and then and then it would come back and go. But um, 
you know, I did get through medical school. I did get, I, I got through A&M. I got through medical school and um, got through a, a general surgery residency in Phoenix. Right, because, you know, as, as one of your good friends, you know, we're all looking at you. Clay had like a 4.0 grade point at, at Texas A&M University. He gets accepted into the, the top medical schools. I guess Baylor was it. And then, you know, he's on he's on the path, man. I mean, to be like the, the superstar surgeon and uh you know all of us are like wow you know clay he's you know he's got the rocket and uh you know and that's all we saw uh so you were you were rather adroit you know at at, <laughs> at the dual life uh, or whatever your struggles were there because uh you were very successful to those of us who were really pretty close to you yeah well you know part, part of the addiction process is is dishonesty you know i mean you know, how do you know when a drug addict's lying to you? Well, his lips are moving. Um, and, and I even kept a lot of that from y'all. I mean, I had a group of friends. I mean, the things I did, I mean, it got pretty bad. Um, I even kept it from some of my closer buddies like y'all. And so, um, you know, what happened was um, I kind of reached the pinnacle of my career, got a plastic surgery fellowship here in Houston, a very coveted one, very competitive and um, I was about – this was about 1993, 94, and I don't know, but, um, you know, I was almost there and uh, met some people here in Houston. We moved back from Phoenix to Houston. Um, uh, met a young lady, as a matter of fact, that had, you know, um, unlimited access to drugs. I was into all kind of stimulant medications, cocaine and methamphetamine. And she also had other attributes that she had unlimited supply of that went along with that and went along with my perverted instinctual appetites. And I just took off. And in two short years, I had lost my position. Um, I'd been fired. I had lost my wife and two kids. Uh, you know, I was living in a seedy area of town um, out of my car just hopelessly addicted to narcotics and um, um, and the lifestyle that went with them. And at that point, I, I truly think I became um, more or less psychotic. I pretty much gave up and was pretty much uh, to the point where, you know, I was going to commit suicide by cop if I ever got arrested. I just it was I was bereft of anything. I, my connection, any any type of spiritual connection I had was gone. Um, I had been to treatment, failed it, and uh, been given multiple chances by friends and family, employers, and my addiction had gotten to the point to where I wasn't able to take advantage of any of those opportunities. I mean, I was I was totally under the control of the demon. I mean, you know, I was uh, hopelessly addicted. Um, and it got pretty bad. I mean, I was I was breaking the law. You know, I was I was procuring drugs, selling drugs, doing drugs, and and um, was in a really bad bad state of mind. And what happened was um, God intervened. You know, what I've learned since is that God was working in my life even when I wasn't availing much of myself to Him, mm -hmm. and um, stepped in and and. I got arrested and went to jail for a while and um, a few months, long enough to kind of come back to my senses and got out and got involved in recovery, got involved in 12-step recovery. And since then, since 1996, um, 
I've been free of alcohol and drugs and, and refocused my uh, professional career on helping others with the same issues. So I've got certified in addiction medicine and um, emergency medicine and have been working in emergency rooms and as uh, as an addiction medicine doctor uh, since that time. And, and more importantly, been working a recovery program that um, helps me deal with my daily struggles that you mentioned in your intro because I'll always be an addict. I'm not cured. What I have is a daily reprieve based on the maintenance of a fit spiritual condition, which I have to work on every day. Well, I mean, as a good friend of yours, you know, I, I you had kind of just vanished for a while. And I was like, I don't know what happened to Clay. You know, the last <laughs> time, you know, I had visited you out in Phoenix when you were the chief resident. And then, uh, you know, my wife worked for Dr. David Lidke, who was a plastic surgeon. And folks, it's there's a lot of. There's a lot of William or Willie Browns in the Houston phone book, man. And I, I think I called all of them trying to find my old friend. I finally was able to uh, get in touch with him through this uh, this professional medical journal. And then I found out that he was no longer, you know, in that medical school. And, man, I didn't know what had happened. And so you know, I'm kind of giving the other side, you know, from the outside of you. I knew he was married. I'd been to his wedding. And, and so, uh, you know, I was able to. Dig him up, you know, and, and it was uh, maybe a nine-year period where we hadn't really seen one another. And, man, we got together, and it was like, look, we still love one another like brothers. And, and, and then he told me his story, which was an incredible story, and it's a story of redemption. That's why the name of this episode is uh, The Redemption Story. Uh, you know, we were having breakfast, and we were kind of talking a little bit about it, how we would prepare for the show. But you you said that addiction was basically a spiritual disease, and I thought that was kind of profound. You know, could you expand a little bit more on that for our listeners? Yeah, and I, and I want to I want to say I remember vividly. I was so full of shame and guilt once I did get into recovery, um, and I had isolated myself from my friends so much that that you know I didn't reach out. I just focused on 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 my recovery, um, and it was a year or two into that. I remember where I was sitting in the car when you called, and I just burst into tears because you found me and, and reached out. And that's another, you know, God working in my life. I, I remember that, and that was that was, a, that was amazing. And since then, you know, every, everything's gotten better. Yeah, um, you know, addiction, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a spiritual malady. Um, it, you know, it's based in physiology. Our brains, people that tend to get addicted to to whatever, um, we're wired that way. About 10% of the population is. And, you know, what happens is certain things that stimulate pleasure in our brains really take root. So we're kind of driven in that direction. Um, But it's a, it's, so that's kind of the biology of it. Um, But um, it's, it's also, it's a, what I call a biopsychosocial disease. But all of it's rooted in um, the solution is rooted in spirituality and in in belief in a higher power, belief in something outside of yourself. We all reach the point in in in, in severe addiction when we're beyond human aid. We we can't help help ourselves. We're we're possessed. I mean, and and there's no, you know, we reach that point, and at that point. You know, it's where the spiritual connection has to make, has has to happen, and and we come to believe that there's a power greater than ourselves, God, um, that we can reach out to for help, and and truly, that's that's where the help has to come from. 
because of, of ourselves, we're not able to help ourselves. We've reached the point. We, we've gone beyond the point of, of being able to help ourselves. So we reach out. And then from that point on, recovery is, is maintenance of that. And it's a design for living um, that we employ. It's a set of principles and beliefs and, and a process we go through to clear away the wreckage of our past and um, make amends where necessary, um, look at ourselves, uh, what makes us tick, and, and learn how on a daily basis uh, to maintain a spiritual contact, which is, which is where the power comes from that keeps us sober. Right. I think uh, you're right. So you have a spiritual malady, then it requires a spiritual cure. Right. And that's especially men, I think. Uh, you know, of course, uh, there are addicts of every shape, color, gender. And um, but we have a hard time with that surrender, you know, with that giving up, you know, that I don't have the power to do it. And, you know, you said, you know, even when you're, you were talking in your opening remarks and you, know, you kind of prided yourself in your ability to manage and. You know, my brother was an alcoholic. My dad was an alcoholic. He was a functional alcoholic because many people <clears throat> in the military are, especially that are in, like, the NSA type stuff where you have to keep everything totally secret, you know, about what you're really doing. You can't share that. And I think that drives – I think there's a lot of alcoholism in the military for that reason. But, you know, he came home and drank a 12-pack beer a day, and I just thought that was normal in our house, you know. And, but uh, it's the uh, the point where you lose control, you know, and then your life becomes unraveled, and then you have to kind of say, okay, I, I can't I can't do this on my own. And that seems to be really the, the point. Now, how if someone comes into your facility now at the Orchard, you know, they've uh, – is it usually because they've had some uh, encounter with law enforcement, or, you know, that's put them there? Or do people come because they finally have reached their bottom on their own and they're ready to make the surrender? Uh, or you have all kinds? Well, it's all kinds. You know, it, you know, addiction is a disease that tells you you don't have a disease. OK, so uh, denial is a huge part of the process continuing and, and a huge impediment to seeking help. Um, no one likes to admit they're different than other people and that they're, you know, uh, out of control. So typically people get to treatment when they've hit a bottom. Um, they have gotten to the point where um, they've lost enough or there's been an event, um, uh, a crisis that, that brings it home and, and they're willing to submit to help um, because otherwise um, – you know, the the alcoholic mind wants to just continue to try to manage and continue to use. You know, you, you reach a point um, with whatever you're addicted to that um, it's driving everything. You, you know, you, you can't um, you can't see the forest for the trees. You can't you can't see a way out. And um you know, some people die that way before they get to treatment and before they get help, and it's really tragic. Um, it's a tragic part of this disease. But for some people, families, you know, um, interventions, interventions, yeah. employers, um, something, something happens. With me, it was that stint in jail gave me time to wake up and come out from under, you know, um, and pray. And uh, so, um, people get get there with that. Some people. Um, can get to treatment without hitting a rock bottom. It, there's a there's a continuum, um, but it, it requires a surrender to the fact that you you're beyond helping yourself, and, mm -hmm. and you need to reach out. 
So you're having to get up and wage the same battle, this same wrestling match like we like to use, you know, in the show here every day, even decades later. So, you know, what what encouragement can you offer our listeners to those battling addiction for the long game? Get help. Um, it requires a process um, and it requires um, a rigorous process, you know. It's the 12 steps is is what works, in my opinion, better than anything else, which is a way to deal with things that come up every day with yourself, with your um, self-centeredness, with your attitudes, with your cravings, you know, which are more early on, which you have to work through more early on in recovery um, than um, later on. But, um, you know... The daily maintenance involves participation in recovery, which is meetings, which is having a, what we call a sponsor or a person of the same sex that helps lead you through things. It's about having a program, and a program is a set of principles by which you live, and a set of a, and a set and and a system of accountability around those principles, and. Um, outside help and and maintenance and identification of when you're getting out of your when you're getting out of your lane a little bit right um and 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 then as things progress it becomes um you know helping others how about you know forgiving yourself because you know my family we've had to deal with this for Mm -hmm. three years we had addicts living in our home and we had the there was a great program here at the time called air adolescence and recovery and uh Usually there's a codependent parent, you know, and it's children and what, you know, you've got a rescuer kind of interfering, doesn't, doesn't let the natural consequences occur, you know, so it's easy for the addict to go, well, see, you know, I got, I don't need to worry about my problems. I got someone else who's worrying about my problems for me right. <laughs> so I can continue to be irresponsible. But, uh, I think, you know, that program was very interesting, you know, for us because I went through it for three years as an al honor and, and, you know, and I was like, why do I have to go through all this stuff and why do I have to work a 12-step program? But I will say that uh, it softened my heart. It's really given me uh, compassion, you know, because I was in all those meetings, you know, and you're hearing these people pour out their pain. And that's basically what's happening in a lot of cases, I think. And I'm I'm worried. I'm worried about uh, children today because of this two years, you know, of missing school, wearing masks, being afraid of everything. And, you know, like video game addiction. You know, we did a show in January called Escaping the Matrix. You know, it's a reference to the movie, you know, with the release of the latest Matrix Resurrection. And the premise of all of them is AI, you know, is being used to fool humans into being used as an energy source to feed the machines and this. AI is now being used by video game manufacturers to intentionally addict gamers. So we have addiction uh, with with gaming, with gambling, with porn addiction. You know, are, are those different from drug and alcohol addiction? Physiologically, um, to some extent, because there's not a substance involved. But um, psychologically, no. They 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 are a method of escape that evokes some pleasure in. In, in the in the part of your brain that experiences pleasure and remembers pleasure and and that creates a, a continually increasing need for that stimulation and that escape all those things are escapes right uh, you know and so uh, you get you get yes they, they definitely function the same there's not a physi- there's not as much of a 
medical or physiological addiction. There, you know, uh, there's not a there's not a, a withdrawal from like a drug, but it, it it really is at its at its at its psychological level the same. Yeah, it's got it's got it's the monkey you know on their back and yeah. they can't you know stop doing it and they ruin careers and things you know people. I have some friends who are in HR, and it's amazing, you know, what they have to deal with, you know, when uh, people are on their company computers with porn and things, you know, and they're and they're they're losing their jobs and everything over it. So it is something they don't have control over. Um, well, you know, I I, I want to ask you a little bit about the orchard. You know, can you tell us a little bit about you know what they do and uh, just uh, where you're working now? Yeah, I'm working at the Orchard Recovery. Um, it's a um, treatment center um, on the Brazos River out west of town, south of Simonton. Um, you can check it out at www.theorchardrecovery.com. Um, or the phone number is 713-730-2851. Uh, there'll always be someone there to answer the phone and help you. But it's a full-service um, residential treatment facility. We do, we do all levels of care, detox, um, residential treatment, outpatient treatment, sober living. Um, it's really unique in its individualized approach to each patient. It's, it's, it's small, um, a lot of staff, and um, we kind of got a, a, a pillar approach um, with the three pillars of our program being um, recovery, spiritual um, growth and reintegration. So we focus on getting people, you know, over the hump, detoxing them, you know, residential treatment, which is very intensive involvement in 12-step recovery, uh, counseling, psychotherapy, all kind of modalities. And then uh, um, all of that working towards spiritual reintegration and connection with a higher power and depending on a higher power. But then we also work with reintegration, with helping people get back to what they did to their families um, successfully. Well, we're hearing uh, a lot about uh, fentanyl now crossing the border, and mm-hmm. I'd like for you as a medical doctor to just warn our audience, you know, because it seems like this stuff could be like poison. People seem to think that if it's a pill, it's manufactured safely by a pharmaceutical company and they can take it and it'll be okay. Right. Could you just issue a little warning about fentanyl for uh, our listeners? <laughs> well, um, fentanyl, is, you know, it's an opiate that's about 100 times as strong as morphine or heroin. Wow. So a very tiny amount of it is, 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 can be toxic. And it's being mixed into all type of other medications now because it's cheap. It's obtainable from, from China. And, and um, it, it's really dangerous. I mean, uh, you know, people that can have been taken. And it can't, you know. People sell pills that aren't pharmaceutical. Right. They, you know, they sell OxyContin, and there's no OxyContin in it. There's fentanyl in it, and these people aren't rigorously measuring the amount of fentanyl right. they put in it. So you could literally die from eating one pill. Right. Well, I just want to thank you for coming along the show, for being my friend all these years, and for sharing, you know, your redemption story. Because it's a remarkable story, folks, and he's very successful now. Well, I'd like to uh, profusely thank our sponsor, ERS, Electronic Restoration Services, for giving us an example of how old and damaged things that most people are prepared to throw away can, in fact, be restored and returned to full and useful service. So it's just like uh, at the orchard, you know, they're going to they're gonna get people restored, but it's, in this case, it's with their electronic equipment. So you can email us at wrestlingwiththeinnerman at gmail.com to offer input and suggestions or feedback on any of our programs, and I'll just close this out with a quick prayer. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for my brother Clay Brown and for uh, his story, his personal experience, which uh, helps others, you know, because he is also medically trained and is uh, helping people find a spiritual cure for a spiritual disease. And we know that you are the great physician, and we just ask that you be with, with everyone who's uh, wrestling with any kind of addiction these days. And we ask all this in your son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. AM 1070, The Answer, Wrestling with the Inner Man. Thanks for listening to Wrestling with the Inner Man with David Savage and Pastor Aaron Thomas. We believe the winners in this ring courageously follow God's word, love and protect God's woman, excel at God's work, batters God's world and his children. For more information, reach out to David and Pastor Aaron at Wrestling with the Inner Man at gmail.com. That's Wrestling with the Inner Man at gmail.com. Tune in next time as Wrestling with the Inner Man tackles more tough topics to train up a generation of better men.